Hey, this is Candace Pringle, lead pastor of FE Church, and this is our podcast. Before Jesus, before specifically November 8th of 2018, um, I was what I call a casual Christian. I was raising family, I was taking the kids to church, participating in youth group, sitting in the pew on Sunday, putting a couple bucks in the collection plate as it goes by, making sure that we go to all of the the uh, major holidays, and you know, if we miss a Sunday or 10, it really didn't matter. And this is what I was, and this is how we worked for many, many decades until 2011, when a life-altering event happened to me, a tragedy, and it wrecked me in completely wrecked me. And I began traveling with the people that I shouldn't have been traveling with and going down roads I shouldn't have been going and associating with people that were not my friends and did not have my best interest in mind or at heart. In 2007, my wife was diagnosed with ovarian cancer. And I thought with my own strength, and our ability to work with science and medicine. I could carry the load and I could carry her burden, I could carry mine, I could, I could carry our entire family. And, and, I, and I tried desperately and I failed miserably. When in, in August of 2011, she went into in-home hospice care and she died in September. When she died, my world went black and and I did not know where to turn I did not know who I was and I didn't know why I wasn't able to save her so fast forward several years and we're into 2016 and I found myself at a breaking point from having carried all the burden and all the guilt. And I was ready to take my own life. It was September. I put myself in my car with the intention of driving to the woods, somewhere, maybe Kedoras, and just ending. And Something inside me was fighting me every step of the way. I pulled the car over just in front of the courthouse on Baltimore Street, and I got on my phone and I looked up churches open on Saturday in Gettysburg. And it brought up a whole list of Gettysburg churches and only one was open on a Saturday. And that was Freedom Valley. And I said, perfect. And I drove straight out here to Freedom Valley. And I met with Jason for the first time. And we met in, in the Freedom Valley Cafe, FB Cafe, and he sat with me and he listened 
He didn't judge. He didn't ridicule. He listened. He talked. He encouraged. He prayed with me and he prayed for me. And I think that's the first time I ever had anyone pray for me. He sat me in a gazebo outside and within five minutes I was in my car and I was racing home. What's important is I was racing home. I wasn't racing to those woods anymore. And I spent a very long and very sleepless night. And I got up the next morning, again, full of regret because I didn't stay. And I felt like I'd let Jason down. I should have stayed. So I came back and I stayed for the, I came for the morning service and I stayed for the afternoon service, the late service. And I, I, um, I never left. What Freedom Valley has given me and what I've learned is how to build a relationship with Jesus, through Jesus, with God. And I've never had that before. My walk with God now is 180 degree different than it was before. Um, God was my last resort before. What I've gained from being at Freedom Valley and serving is that where my life was seemed hopeless at one point, it's now hopeful. Where the future was dim, it's now bright. Where I was lost, I'm not. If you are thinking about getting involved here at Freedom Valley in any way, whether it's a serve team or joining a home group or working in kids or any of the other myriad things that, that we offer or any ideas that you may have of your own, my advice is just do it. Just step into it. You will build relationships with people that will carry you, that will support you, that will not be judging you. You will find fulfillment in every little bit. I serve regularly on the greeters, holding the doors, which just seems like such a minor thing. But I've been doing it for a few years and I know so many people now. And to me, the, the hugs that I get as folks are coming in, mean more to me than anyone will ever know. That right there is what Free the Future is about. Amen? Fred in a place where he was hopeless, right? Didn't know where to turn, was going to drive to the woods and end it all. But he walked in here and found hope. Free the future is, is that exact concept. This is what we do here at Freedom Valley. This is why we do what we do. So 
I asked them to share that video again this week. I think Aaron actually asked them to share that video again this week. It's just so good. Jesus is good. Amen. It's good what he's doing here today. Listen, this series so far has been about that vision changing as a church. We want to free the future because we're a little bit, we're, we're in slavery a little bit to some things of the past, just like in Fred's story, in slavery, almost in bondage, being held captive by things that have happened in the past. Not necessarily all bad things. In Fred's case, it was love and love lost. And I mean, this is life, right? And yet we're in, we're in slavery to the past, to free the future. We often have to unload some of those things. We need, we need to become obedient again where maybe we haven't for a while. And so these past couple of weeks, we've been talking about giving more was the first week, right? Becoming obedient to God in tithing, stretching yourself to to get there. Or maybe it's just giving better. Some of us are tithers, but we're not doing it with a joyful heart and all of that. So give more. We need to be sharing our faith with the world. That was last week, right? Tell the world about Jesus. And we also need to be serving each other. Today we're going to finish this out. Not the series, but our three, uh, give more, tell more, serve more today. So, so far, if you've been able to look at the whole arc of this series, you may have been questioning why all of this matters, right? And I think obviously Fred's story is a big why. This is why we do what we do. But really, why does all of this matter? That's where my head always goes. Anybody else always have to ask why? Why, God? Why this? Why that? What's the reason behind what is happening here? I need to know the why, not just for me, because I know the principles of God. If, If I sow, I will also reap. That's what the Bible says. Not just, not just what I will get out of it, but why does this matter for the kingdom? Why does this matter for the kingdom? What difference is this making here? Why does vision about the future actually matter? For a while, that term was thrown around so often, it lost its meaning to me. Vision this, envision that. You have to have a vision for the future. Why does that actually matter? Why does it matter for the kingdom? (laughs) Which actually got me thinking. I'm not sure we actually understand the term kingdom. What, what, is, what does it mean to be a kingdom builder? I went on a deep dive a number of years ago uh, because it suddenly occurred to me that Jesus didn't speak about eternity all that much. It wasn't like in every sermon he ever preached. It wasn't at the end of every message. It wasn't the altar call push at the end. He, he didn't talk about heaven all that much. If, if you Google what did Jesus say about heaven, there's not that many verses like you would think there are just isn't so what what happens after we die why wasn't that the main message of Jesus like isn't that why he came you'd certainly think that's what he talked most about if you've listened to every sermon you've ever heard right and all those things are true he did come to secure our eternity he did come to prepare a place for us in heaven, but as I read through the Gospels, it just doesn't seem to be his main message. He talks way more often, in fact, about how to live here. 
most of his parables are about how to live here, how to get along with each other, how to lay down our lives for each other. His messages were about forgiveness and how to handle money and our possessions and how to pray and how to live well with your neighbors, right? Much more of his message was about those things. He did talk about the kingdom of heaven, but not that it was far away and untouchable, but that it was at hand, he actually said, just like John the Baptist preached, that it was soon to come. Matthew 10, 7 says, go and announce to them that the kingdom of heaven is near. Not that it's there, that it's near. And toward the end of his ministry, he began to say things more like it's here now and it's already among you. Luke 17, 20 says, one day the Pharisees asked Jesus, when will the kingdom of God come? Jesus replied, the kingdom of God can't be detected by visible signs. You won't be able to say, here it is, or it's over there. For the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is already among you. So I have a couple of things I want to clarify about the kingdom of God today. The, the Bible does seem to use the terms interchangeably. Kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God. Okay, so a couple of things we just want to clarify Uh, And then we're going to talk about serve more. So number one, the kingdom of God is both here and there, both now and then. And we often talk about this. uh, A lot of kingdom terminology is both. People want to put the, the kingdom, they want to put Jesus, they want to put the Bible in one camp or another. It's often not this or that, it's this and that. We get to, we want to put things in boxes. You cannot put God in a box. Okay? It is both this and that. It is both here and there. Now, and then. Because one day Jesus will come back. Yes? He will come back. He will establish an earthly kingdom. It will be here. You'll be able to point to it and say it's there, right? The Bible foretells this. He will be our king and we will be his subjects. The kingdom of heaven is our inheritance. It will be something physical someday. But today is not that day. Now, I've said this exact phrase a lot lately. And it makes some people a little angry because I think I think we get ahead of ourselves sometimes as Christians. <laughs> Right? We, we read the book of Revelation and we see it all happening and, and we, we think this, this is the day. Today is the day and we need to fight for something and it's just not, today is not that day. We do need to fight for something, but God gave us a very specific mission for today. Today is not that day. We think we know what the book of Revelation says. So this is just a, a side note and a warning. The Pharisees... thought that they knew what the prophecies about Jesus meant. And they missed him. He was right in front of them. And they missed him. They knew every prophecy. They had them memorized. They thought they knew. And they still missed Jesus. They were experts on prophecy. So it's not necessarily knowing every Bible verse or knowing what will happen. In fact, Most of the people that Jesus was able to minister to knew little to nothing about the word or the scriptures or the temple or any of it, yet they were still able to enter the kingdom of God. Some of us feel a little self-conscious about our lack of knowledge about the Bible. It's not about that. In fact, Jesus didn't call Bible scholars. Most of his disciples were fishermen, (laughs) tax collector, right? They didn't know 
not about that. Sometimes it helps, and surely knowing the word, you should be a studier of the word, right? But you don't have to be an expert to enter the kingdom of God. When we act like like the kingdom of God is just and only a physical kingdom, we miss something. Someday it will be, but today is not that day. When we act this way now, as if physical rulers and presidents and politicians can somehow advance the kingdom or hurt it... (laughs) We're missing something. And it's not making us any more attractive to the world, as we talked about last week. Our our rage, our outrage at what's happening in the world doesn't help us with the world. In fact, it makes them disgusted and and want to run far away. (laughs) Today is not that day. That day will come, but we're not in it yet. So God must have a purpose for today, right? If it's not here yet, I say this all the time, you should be able to finish my sentences, but when God is doing something, no, I got ahead of myself, I gave you the answer. When God does something, he's, when God does something, he's doing something, and even when it seems like he's not doing anything, he's doing something. There is a purpose for today. Today is not that day. Today is the day we are meant to go into all the world and preach the good news. That is our mission. So today the kingdom is not physical. It will be. Today it's not. In fact, Jesus came to remove those boundaries. Right? It was physical when Jesus came. He came to remove the boundaries, to make the kingdom of God not a physical place, but a spiritual one. He told the temple leaders, right? I'm going to tear down this temple and rebuild it. In three days. He didn't mean in Jerusalem. He meant in each and every one of us. He meant he's going to rebuild it in our hearts so the kingdom can now be anywhere, in anyone. The kingdom of heaven is already among you, he said. It is both. It is here and there. It is now and then. So if it's here now, what is it? Where is it? Who is it? Right? Number two is the kingdom of God is in each of us. We are now his light carriers. Right? We are the kingdom builders. Each and every one of us that has accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior, it's now our jobs to carry that to the world. What that means is we are meant to be examples to the world of what it means to be the vibrant, passionate, selfless disciples we've been called to be. We're meant to be that example. We're meant to show people what it means to be citizens of heaven. We aren't our own bosses anymore. Jesus is. Because we are citizens in his kingdom. We're not out for ourselves. We don't see the world in a dog-eat-dog kind of way, right? We're no longer just Americans, for example, all about our civil freedoms. We're citizens of heaven, all about our soul freedoms, You see how it goes deeper, broader, more all-encompassing. It is in each of us. We are in the world, but not of the same stuff. We've got something different going on in each of us. It means we bring peace even when our surroundings are war. It means we bring love even when hate is much easier It means we bring unity even when everyone is fighting. It means we wash feet even when it's beneath our station to do so. 
because our Jesus did. We serve because we know in God's kingdom, it's not about power. He's got all the power. What do we need power for in God's kingdom? We're not trying to take it from him. In God's kingdom, we serve because it's not about power. In God's kingdom, we serve because we know in his kingdom, it's not about position. In fact, the last shall be first, Jesus said, and the first shall be last. It's not about position in his kingdom. We serve because we know that in God's kingdom, our leader laid down his very life. It's not about position. It's not about power. Not even about our life. We lay it down willingly. We are altogether different from anyone not in God's kingdom. It's fundamental. It's everything. It flows out of everything that we do. It trickles into everything that we do as we just got done preaching in the Wellspring series, right? We can't just go to church. We are the church. We carry it with us everywhere we go. We, we aren't picky and choosy with, with forgiveness, who we forgive and who we don't, because he wasn't. We don't just preach the gospel, we live the gospel. It changes everything. The kingdom is us. Someday it will be more of a place, a physical thing, but today it is us. And I know this was a long way to get here, but this is why we serve. This is why the church is so important, because we are the model. The model of selflessness, the model of the gospel, the model of love. We are meant to be the, the model, the, the example, the light shining on a hill of how you can live, how it is possible to live, that it is possible to live truly forgiven and forgiving. It's possible. It is possible to live truly fulfilled and also give everything of yourself. I want to let that one sink in for a second. It's possible to live truly fulfilled and give everything of yourself. In fact, it's the only way to live truly fulfilled. It is possible to have a low bank account, but a rich heart. It is possible to be alone and yet not lonely. It is possible to be at peace even when the storm is raging. It is possible because the church is the hope of the world. That's a Bill Hybels quote, but it's true. And I would only add three words to that quote. It is possible, sorry, the church is the hope of the world if it's healthy. If it's healthy. If it's not healthy, what good is it? If it's not healthy, how is that hopeful at all? If it's not healthy, how is that an example of anything to the world? We're just like the world when we are not actively submitting to the gospel. Remember last week we talked about Peter. Peter on his own was not able to accomplish much for Jesus. He ran away from the confrontation. He ran away from the fight. He talked a big game, but when it came down to it, he failed. But with the Holy Spirit in charge, he was a different guy. With the Holy Spirit in charge, he got up in front of 3,000 people and saw them all come to Jesus. Right? With the Holy Spirit in charge, he was able to get up and preach a simple, clear 
gospel message that was challenging. If we are listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit, if we are walking the walk, not just talking the talk, we can model to the world what it looks like. We can be the hope of the world like we are meant to be. The church is meant to be the hope of the world. We can be when we're healthy. And number three, the kingdom is modeled to the world through the church. Matthew 16, 18. Jesus said, now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. The church began on the day of Pentecost when Peter got up and saw 3,000 people come to know Jesus in a single message. Church began when the Holy Spirit came and started breathing through us, not just on us. The church began when we allowed the Holy Spirit to flow through. We became healthy and selfless. If you read through the Gospels, you'll see how many times the disciples, adult human beings, fought over position and power. It seems absolutely absurd. Like in the presence of the Messiah, God himself, you're going to fight over power? Who's the best in your kingdom, Jesus? These were adult males. Just seems absolutely absurd to me. But we do this. We may not say that we do it because it's not culturally acceptable. But we do it. We fight over position and power. Imagine a place where there is zero selflessness. It's all selfish. Every single person is selfish to the core. A place where everyone is looking out for themselves and themselves only, right? There's no unity. There's no working together. There's no teamwork whatsoever. Everyone is willing to do whatever it takes to whoever it takes to get ahead. Doesn't matter who they hurt. Some of you are like, have you been to my workplace? Like, that sounds a lot like, or my family. Like, that sounds a lot like the environment I grew up in. Imagine a place with zero selflessness. But listen to the description of the church from the book of Ephesus, from the city of Ephesus, the book of Ephesians. Ephesians 4, verse 11 says, Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work, not our work, his work. And build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Anybody at the full and complete standard of Christ yet? Not me. They will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the others grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Healthy and growing and full of love. John 13, 34 says, So now I am giving you a new commandment. This is Jesus. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. The church is the hope of the world when it's healthy and growing 
and full of love. When Jesus came, he said to the temple leaders, I'm going to tear down this temple and rebuild it in three days. He wasn't talking about a physical place. He was talking about setting up camp in each and every one of our hearts so that we could carry his gospel to the world. Now we are the temple. Where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am. We're the temple. Everywhere we go can be the church. So, so what happens when instead the church is that selfish place? Dog-eat-dog world. Everybody's out for themselves. We're, we're judgmental. We're power-hungry. We're rude. We're self-seeking. We're arrogant. We're selfish. What's the world's perception of God then? If our fruit is spoiled, rotten, no good, what will they assume about who God is? What do my actions say about him to make it personal? Have I been a carrier of the gospel today or a carrier of Candace? <laughs> do my actions reflect the heart of the Father or just my selfish heart? Jesus said, Anyone can be kind to a friend. Even non-believers do that. Even the corrupt do that. Even selfish people do that. It's not just any old kindness. Being kind to friends that, that's going to make an impression on our world. It's sacrificial love that we'll be known by. It's our selflessness that we'll be known by. It's our servant hearts that shows the kingdom. Church, it's time to serve one another. Like we've never served before. It's time to show the world Jesus, not just talk about him. Now, last week we talked about showing Jesus, telling them, serving them, earning the right to speak into lives, not demanding it. But this week, we're talking about what happens in here. Not outside the four walls, but in here. talk about how we treat one another, right? Do we come to church just to get, 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 take, 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 take? What can I get today? It's common to say stuff like, I'm going to go get some Jesus in me today, or I'm going to go, you know, I need worship today. That's what I need. I need to go get fed. But a disciple who's not also feeding others is just getting fat on God's word. Doing nothing actually useful in the kingdom. We're like that stopped up well in the wellspring. Right? We're becoming a dead sea where nothing can live instead of overflowing onto the world around us. It doesn't make sense. Jesus didn't say come and, and take, 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 take. He didn't say come for consumer Christianity. In fact, he sent away the consumers. Read the passage right after he fed the 5,000 and sent the disciples across the sea. Right after that, huge miracle. He's walking on water, that whole scene. A whole bunch of people left that day. Want to know why? He wouldn't feed them again. They came to get bread, physical bread. They came to get fed. That was it. He said, look, I'm not Walmart I'm not the grocery store. I'm here to feed you spiritually, not just physically. You don't come into church here to get, to get the warm and fuzzies and then go out and do nothing with it. This isn't just to fill you up, although it does do that. Worship does that as we focus on God, not as we focus on what we're getting. 
So we focus on him. Worship is literally only about God, who he is, what he's like, his attributes, not what he does for me. Not thank you, God, for giving to me. Thank you for healing me. Thank you for supplying all my needs. That's thankfulness, that's praise, and those things are good. But worship is about him, who he is. And it is a practice that we have to practice in our lives to remind ourselves He's a lot bigger than just me. We have to follow Jesus' example and also lay down our lives for others. We, church, not me, church. This is something we have written on our walls in the back. We haven't said it in a long time. We, church, not me, church. Jesus came to lay down his life for his church. He served her with everything. But it's too much to ask to serve in kids' ministry once a month. I feel like that got really personal. (laughs) Too much to ask to commit to serving coffee in the cafe. Okay. Greeting people at the doors. Manning a camera. Do we have teenagers Showing up at 7 a.m. on a Sunday morning to man these cameras. Teenagers. They're amazing. Most half the media team also shows up way before that. Opening up your home to someone that's hurting for a meal or a heart-to-heart or having a phone call, checking in on people. These these things serving each other, it's too much. We watched the Passion of the Christ as a family lately bawled the whole way through it. After seeing even just a glimpse of what Jesus may have gone through, there's nothing too much. He can't possibly ask too much of me through what he did for me. But I have come to the conclusion over the past few years of ministry that sometimes it does feel like too much. And instead I have to get my eyes back on Jesus. Because if I stop serving just because it hurts or because it it feels like a whole lot of work, I stop growing. The pain is okay. It usually is bringing out some things in me that I probably need to deal with. I will stop growing if I stop serving. Some of you have wandered in to church on Sunday morning saying, you know, his worship just doesn't feel so powerful to me anymore like it used to. I don't cry all the way through worship anymore. <laughs> That's a common first occurrence, so don't feel bad if that happens to you. All right, or, or the word just doesn't jump out to me anymore. I just don't feel the spirit like I used to. Are you serving? Not just manning a door. I mean, are you pouring into someone? What you're learning from Jesus, are you giving that to somebody else? Because it will stop feeling powerful. It will stop jumping out at you. You will stop feeling the voice of the Holy Spirit if you're not using the voice of the Holy Spirit. You'll stop growing because it's all about you then. What you're getting, and that is fundamentally counterproductive to the gospel. The gospel isn't selfish self-seeking or rude. It is meant to be poured out. We, church, 
not meet church. A lot of us forgot that in 2020. It was easy to forget in 2020 because either we were really used to sitting on the couch and watching church, not being the church, or because we didn't like the decisions our pastors made trying to do the right thing in a time when there was no right thing, and we got bitter because it wasn't serving me. That got real, real too, didn't it? And I'm not saying if you're at home watching today, you're not participating in the church because I know some people who are still socially distancing and very involved and engaged and giving back to people. It's not about watching online or being in the room. In fact, you can easily come back in the room and still just take, take, take. It's not about that. It's about engaging with the church, giving to the church, pouring your life out for it. Proverbs 11.25 says, The generous will prosper. That's not prosperity gospel, that's Proverbs. The generous will prosper. It's a principle. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. It's talking about having a servant's heart. Refresh others, you will be refreshed. I can't tell you how many times I have felt like canceling a Bible study that I was leading, right? Or, or a home group or Sunday morning church for that matter. And I just don't want to do it. I don't want to go. That's me. That's my flesh. That's my own selfishness. Like it's so much work and I have to, you know, I'm, I'm an introvert by nature and I have to push myself out. I don't know if I have the energy today. Maybe I'll just cancel. Stay home on the couch and rest. I can convince myself I need rest seven days of the week. Rest is not rest when you're not tired. It's laziness. Knowing what you should do and not doing it is sin, the Bible says. But because I committed and I have people relying on me, I get off the couch and I go, and I teach, and I pour myself out. And every time, every single time, I cannot think of one exception, I have come out of that Bible study that I so badly wanted to cancel, feeling so much better. Because the generous will prosper, and those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. I've never once regretted it. In fact, I've thanked God. Thank you for making me get off the couch. Thank you for making me pour myself out because I don't know, it's like the oil in the Bible, right? When you pour out, somehow it just it's still there. Fuller than it was before. How does that happen? It's a principle. God is a multiplier. Fed 5,000 people and that was just the men. It's probably more like 25 or 30,000 people scholars believe. Fed all those people just a handful of fish and loaves because God's math is multiplication, not addition. The little bit that you give him, he will multiply into so much more. When you use your gifts and your talents to serve other people, somehow he refreshes you through it. You get so much more out of it than the people you're serving. I promise you promise you. I have been a Christian since I was three years old. 
literally. And I would read my Bible all those years, but I never got as much out of it as when I was teaching others. I taught children in the back of this building for three services a weekend, every weekend, plus Wednesday nights for six years. If that won't train you, you learn to keep the attention of 10-year-olds, <laughs> that's knowing the gospel, let me tell you. I can present the gospel with a science experiment. I can present the gospel with colors. Just give me colors and I can present the gospel, right? Crayons, colored pencils. We were talking about dressing Jason up as a woman. I'm just saying, we can present the gospel with anything. <laughs> Except that. <laughs> when I'm operating in my gifts, God refreshes me. I can't tell you how it works. I just know that it does. When I'm serving others, God serves me. And the people I'm serving return it in ways that I'm, I never expect. I read a quote this week that says, your life will not be measured by what you do, but by what you set into motion. Not by what you do, but by what you set into motion. I, I told this story a couple times lately, but my dad was a little Amish kid, grew up Amish. When he was 18, he went to a Pentecostal church for the first time. Hated every minute of it. So freaked out by all the people tambourines and raising their hands and praying in the spirit and that was not what he was used to. He said, okay, I'm out. As soon as he could, he slipped out the back. He was practically running to his car saying, I will never go back there. Two ushers followed him out there and they loved him. They loved him. Just asked about his life, his, uh, his name, who he was, why he was there today. They loved him. And by the end of that conversation, he was saying, you know what? When service tonight, I'm coming back. Every single one of you has been touched by that little Amish kid. If you're new here today, my dad started this church. <laughs> Just to give you some context. Right? He, he would not have done any of it. I wouldn't be here today if not for those two ushers in a parking lot. It was nothing the preacher said that day. It was not the worship music, right? The tambourines, or the passion in the people. Those things all freaked him out. It was ushers showing him love. Two regular guys set all of this into motion. Every single salvation we've seen around these altars is because of those two guys. We don't even know their names. Your life will not be measured by what you do, but by what you set into motion. Moses didn't get to enter the promised land, but he led the people there. Jonah set into motion an entire city's repentance. He still gets that credit, even though he's mad about it. John the Baptist didn't sell books or fill stadiums. He prepared the way for the Messiah. Oh, Billy Graham always credits his salvation to his Sunday school teacher. Billy Graham. So was it because of him that millions have known the gospel? Or because of that Sunday school teacher? 
or because of the person who led him or her, I think it was a her, to Jesus, or the person before that, or the person before that. And we can all trace our salvation back to Peter, probably, on the day of Pentecost. One of those disciples or apostles, somewhere along the way, passed it on, and they passed it on from there, and they passed it on from there. The Holy Spirit set something into motion for each and every one of us. You know, the disciples at the Ascension, where Jesus went back up into heaven, they were still asking Jesus about a literal here and now kingdom. Jesus had been on the cross. They had seen three years of miracles. Right Here he is about to ascend back up into heaven. And they it's Acts 1-6. When the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? They still didn't get it. It's not just about here and now. It wasn't until the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost that it clicked for them. The jobs Jesus gave us are to love God and love people. If you truly love God, you will love his church. There's not much way around that. Jesus invented the church. He was the first one to say the word in that context. Ecclesia in the Bible. It meant mission. A group of people on a mission. That is the church. If you truly love God, you will love his church and you will serve his kingdom. If you truly love people, you'll tell them about Jesus. Tell them about the hope the freedom that he's given you. You will build his kingdom. That's what it comes down to. If I looked at your life from an outside perspective, and I don't know you, I don't, I don't know your name, if I'm just looking at your life, your checkbook, the people that you spend your time with, the words that you choose to use, the, the jokes that you choose to tell, the emotions that you choose to live in, the way you spend your time, would I be able to tell that you are a Jesus disciple? If, if I just looked at your checkbook and calendar, nothing else, would I be able to tell that you love the church? That you contribute somehow to the kingdom of God? We have so many teams around here that need people. So many open holes where the church could be loved. Pick one. Ushers, greeters, cafe, kids ministry, youth ministry, security. What am I missing? Youth, media, right? So many ways you can love the church. You can cut the grass, right? You can take care of the trees outside. We, we do have somebody that loves the church in that way. There's so many ways to love the church. Pick one. Throw yourself at it. Give your gifts and talents to it wholeheartedly. Show up early. Stay late. Talk to people, even when you don't feel like talking to people. An introvert here, remember. 
Maybe those ushers didn't feel like loving my dad on that particular Sunday. But look what they set in motion. What if that Sunday school teacher of Billy Graham's had called in sick that morning? You don't know what the ripple effects of your contribution to the kingdom will be. So how about just love? <laughs> yes, people are going to let you down. Yes, they're going to disappoint you. Love them anyway. Like Jesus did. Encourage them. Serve more. The kingdom of God is all about us behaving selflessly together. That's what the church should be. The shining example in a world of darkness and selfishness. That is why we serve. That is why we strive for excellence. We want to serve people better. Love them better. This year, we're going to have teams that have too many volunteers. By the end of the year, we're going to overflow. I will keep prophesying that as God is pouring it into my heart. We don't see it now, but by faith, we see things that are not as though they are. It is an overflow year, not today. By the end of this year, we're going to see it. We're going to serve like never before. We're going to get outside of our comfort zones. Step outside the fear and timidity because God didn't give us the spirit of those things. When we're operating in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, he gives us power, love, and self-control. We don't tell, we don't let our bodies tell us what to do. We tell it what to do. My body feels like sleeping in on Sunday morning. I tell it what to do. We're going to serve. More of you are going to step up and serve. And for those of you who are serving, you're going to serve better. The cheerful heart. Understanding that you're not just serving three-year-olds in a nursery. You're not just pushing buttons on a faulty soundboard. Right here, serving the kingdom. You're loving people. Not just to fulfill you, but to lay down your life for others. To build the kingdom in you. To build the kingdom in others. We need kingdom builders right now. People willing to get down and dirty, to work hard, even when it costs them something, to step up and serve. People willing to be here at 7 a.m. on a Sunday morning to lead you in worship. More of them. People willing to sit in one service and serve in another. Did you hear that we're starting two services on Easter? I don't know if, I don't think the announcement said it, but that's going forward as well. Not just on Easter, special service. Two services on Sunday mornings again. We used to have three. We're going back to two. And so many of you have come up to me and said, when are we doing two services again? And I think it's just because they want to sleep in a little more, right? Oh, we'll have a, a late service again. And they're like, no, that's not why I'm asking. But three or four people at least have said to me, I'm not asking because of that. I'm asking because I want to serve more, but I also want to be in church. That's why we have two services. Sit one, serve one. It's beautiful to me. Showing a heart for the house. Showing a heart for the kingdom. What God wants to do. I want to receive from God and I want to pour out 
to others. I want to hold babies so other people can experience God in the service, and then I want to sit in one too. Not just listen quickly on a Friday to the podcast, which is amazing to stay connected, but I want to experience it. I'm going to sit in one. I want to serve more. That's the goal, because that is the heart of the Father. That is the heart of the kingdom. That should be the heart of each and every disciple. Vibrant, passionate, and selfless. Father, we come to you today with hearts humbled. Some of us need to take a little stock right now. Step outside of our emotions, of our excuses, of all the things we feel like doing, and say, God, what would you have me do? God, what would you have me do? How can I humble myself? How can I get over my fear? How can I serve you better? What are you calling me to right now? Where are you calling me to give my gifts and talents? Some of you today also feel like you don't have much to give. Like I can't sing on that stage. I can't play guitar. I can't speak. I'm terrified of children. What do do I do? Ask God. He has put gifts and talents in each and every one of you to be used in the kingdom. And the church is suffering if you're not using them. We are one body meant to work together for one purpose. There are gifts and talents inside you. You just need to ask God to reveal them. Sometimes, by the way, they come out when you begin to use them. Step out in faith. Try something. Start to serve in an area, something that you're interested in. Maybe it's not a good fit and you try another one. God will use you. The tools that are in your hand, he will use you. So Father, today I ask that you would just reveal those. Holy Spirit, bring out gifts and talents like never before. Let us, each of us, pour into the local church and see how it changes our lives forever. Heads bowed and eyes still closed. Maybe today you're saying, I've never given my life to Jesus. I didn't understand the kingdom mindset, the kingdom of God and and, and living selflessly and giving it all over. I, I haven't ever considered what Jesus did for me. The gospel message is not complicated. It's incredibly pure and simple and clear. Jesus came to present himself as a sacrifice for you, for all the selfishness in your life, so that you could simply say, I accept your forgiveness. And it's done. You can be in right relationship with your creator. You can pray and he will hear you. He will talk back. You can listen. You can enter into the kingdom of God. 
You can live selflessly. You can be free of the things that hold you back just by saying, Jesus, I believe. I accept your forgiveness in my life. And I'm going to live your way from now on, not my own. We always say around here, I'm in to following Jesus. I'm in this life of discipleship. Maybe today's the first time saying that. Maybe it's just the first time in a really long time. And you want to get back on track. I'm in to following Jesus. Father, we thank you and we praise you for this word. Thank you for each and every person that has given their lives to you today. Today is their spiritual birthday. We rejoice with them. We celebrate them today. We thank you for the harvest. God, I pray that as we step out and serve one another, you would meet us there. Speak to our hearts and minds. Holy Spirit, bring out gifts and talents in this church like we have never seen before. We would not only be overflowing with finances and and resources, but overflowing with people bringing their friends, friends they've told about the gospel. They said, if you only knew the gift God has for you, they brought them to church, overflowing with people serving one another. People can't wait to get here on a Sunday morning just to serve. Show up early, stay late, to lay down their lives for the church. Thank you that the church is the hope of the world. Thank you that we get to be in a healthy one. Not perfect, but healthy. Striving to live more and more like Jesus every day. Thank you for the vibrant, passionate, selfless disciples in this church. Help us reach the world with the message of the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, please let us know by going to fv.church slash I am in. And remember to download our app for more content and helpful links.